0: Hello, everyone. This is Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of Blind with a special edition of the Advocacy Update podcast. As always, thank you to everyone listening over ACB radio, as well as those who download and stream via their favorite podcast players. And you can always learn more about ACB at www.acb.org. Or shoot us an advocacy question at advocacy at acb.org. And today our special podcast um, is not in our usual podcast format. Um, What we did due to the pending um, court case before the Supreme Court of Domino's v. Robles, that's Domino's Pizza, the largest pizza chain in the United States, um, versus ACB member from California, Guillermo Robles, um, over website accessibility. So by the time this podcast has posted, we may have a decision from the court on whether they will hear this case. And as things currently stand, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in California ruled 3-0 in a unanimous decision, uh, usually only seen in Muhammad Ali fights and uh, Mike Tyson bouts, but a 3-0 decision by the Ninth Circuit in California that the Americans with Disabilities Act does indeed apply to websites. Uh, And the crowd goes wild so Domino's is appealing this case to the supreme court to say no it doesn't and obviously that's concerning to many of us um, so what we have for you today is the audio from an event where immediate past president of acb kim charleston spoke here in washington dc at the national press club and this entire event was about digital accessibility and inclusion Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a long listen but there are some great participants from academia as well as vinton surf one of the principal founders and developers of a little thing called the internet uh, as well as the principal sponsor and father of the Americans with Disabilities Act, retired Senator Tom Harkin from the great state of Iowa. Uh, so again, thank you for tuning in for the Advocacy Update podcast. And please check out the website www.acb.org and let us know what you think at advocacy at And here's the audio from the National Press Club event. Um, held earlier this year in September. Thanks. Good morning, everybody.
1: Welcome to the National Press Club, in case you didn't know you were here. Uh, This is where news happens in the nation's capital. I'm Mark Hamrick. I'm the Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Economic Analyst for Bankrate.com and a past president of the club. We're pleased to have with us today an impressive panel of influential leaders and uh, thought leaders, in fact, in policymaking, technology, and disability inclusion. They're here to discuss how the U.S. can drive economic growth through assistive technology and an inclusive mindset. It is estimated that there are 11 million people with disabilities who are not currently employed. A recent Accenture study suggested the nation's growth, or GDP, would get a net boost of $25 million for each 1% of this group if it were to become part of the nation's workforce. So our panelists are here today to help describe what's needed to forge ahead. In no particular order, but first off, uh, Senator Tom Harkin, in AP style, D. Iowa, who is no stranger to the National Press Club, and he came back anyway. He was the author and chief sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act. He served for three decades in the Senate after earlier serving in the House. For those who perhaps were not around then or not conscious, the ADA was signed into law in July of 1990 by President George H.W. Bush. It is regarded as one of the nation's most comprehensive pieces of civil rights legislation that prohibits discrimination and guarantees that people with disabilities have the same opportunities as everyone else to participate in the mainstream of American life, including employment opportunities. We also have Dr. Vinton Cerf, winner of the U.S. National Medal of Technology and Innovation for founding and developing the Internet. Among his many honors is the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. How many people have heard of the Internet here today? (laughs) Well, we have a pretty smart group. Uh, Doctor Dr. Surf is often described as one of the fathers of the internet, and I've often wondered who was the mother. But maybe we can. <laughs> okay, of them. <laughs> very good. We can we can explore that later. Uh, Dr. Greg Vanderheiden, professor and director of the Trace R and D Center, University of Maryland, and a pioneering advocate for access to technology. Kim Charlson, a global advocate for inclusion, serving as executive director of Perkins Library, that's a division of Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown, Mass. Kim is immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind. Chet Cooper, a leading expert for people with disabilities and founder of AbilityMagazine.com, AbilityJobs.com, AbilityJobFair.org, and AbilityCorps.org. So if I have that right, that's two dot-coms and two dot-orgs. Rob Wong is Assistant Technology Entrepreneur and CEO of Control Bionics, a provider of EMG wearable bionics services. And we'd like to thank NPC member John Williams for his efforts in making this newsmaker happen, as well as Tamara Hinton and Lindsay Underwood who is an indispensable member of the NPC management team. So the way this is going to work is that uh, each individual on the panel will deliver an opening statement and it's my job to make sure that the trains run on time. I know that sounds like an impossibility here in the nation's capital, home to Metro, but okay. we do make it happen here in the National Press Club. So I'd ask each panelist to try to keep their opening statements to five minutes. Uh, I did not bring a gong, so uh, we'll try to keep it civil. Uh, when I call on you in the audience when we go to Q&A, I will ask that you identify yourself with name and title or where you work. I'd also ask that you make your questions succinct, so that we have uh, time to get to as many people as possible. So I understand that John has some brief remarks who uh, kindly helped to uh, make this event happen. So uh, John, you can either go from there or here, wherever you'd like.
2: Good morning, and before I start, I want to- thank NPC employees Patty Powers, Lindsay Underwood, and Tamara Hinton for their valuable help in putting this program together. I've been in this field for 40 years, and I've seen it grow. And I've seen the power of Technology, uh, uh, I, I've seen people who were so severely disabled that n- n- nobody thought that they could do anything. Technology changed that f- f- for them. And that's what these gentlemen will talk about today. I just w- want to leave you with this one thought. A mind is a terrible thing to waste.
1: Senator, you can either go from here or up there, whatever you're most comfortable with. I'm used to standing. I
3: understand. Dangerous to let a former senator (laughs) get a a hold of a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Mark Hamrick, thank you very much for having us here. Um, I only have one minor correction to what you said. The Accenture study said that for every 1% increase in disability employment the GDP would be raised 25 billion dollars, wow, not million, 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 25, so 25 billion. I just, you know, you know, yeah, we're yeah. more, yeah, we're, our community is more important than just 25 million. Anyway, John Williams, thank you for your lifetime of leadership and writing uh, about abilities. Benton Surf, of course, uh, uh, Father of the Internet, I, although we just had a brief meeting before this, and it, did me a lot of pleasure to see him fiddling with his iPhone. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, I don't feel I don't feel so bad after all. <laughs> Greg Vanderheiden again at, from Maryland, uh, Kim Charleston, longtime friend at the who runs the Perkins Library, also the first woman president of the American Council of the Blind, and uh, of course Chet Cooper is here with uh, all the, with Ability Magazine. For years, uh, Rob Wong, who I met, uh, John brought him to one of my summits and met him and, and got to know about his devices and what he was doing uh, with bionics. Well, okay, five minutes. that, I, that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> so 29 years after the signing of the ADA, we looked back, we said, you know the ADA had four goals, right? Full participation, equal opportunity. Independent living, economic self-sufficiency. Well, how have we done? Well, in the first three, not so bad. We have made good inroads in participation, opportunity, independent living. We have made some really good progress. On economic self-sufficiency, barely moved the needle. The unemployment rate among persons with disabilities in America today is about where it was 29 years ago. Think about this. Whenever you see an unemployment rate of 3.5 percent, keep in mind that's among white Americans, among African Americans, it's uh, two and a half times that. Among Latinos and Latinas, it's maybe about three times that. But even if you took 15 percent unemployment, it's just terrible. Think about it this way. Over 60 percent of adult Americans with disabilities are not in the workforce. That's right, over 60%. That is a blot on our national character. The Harkin Institute at Drake University has been sponsoring something called Harkin Summits for the last four years. Uh, um, We've had over 600 people from 50 different countries. Our goal is very simple to increase the participation rate of persons with disabilities in competitive integrated employment. Those are key words, competitive integrated employment. By that we mean not makeshift work, not sub-minimum wage, which we had to get rid of, but I won't digress on that right now, Um, but in in same jobs as anyone else would have. Uh, And so uh, this is doable, um, and we ask that we double. Uh, I challenge everyone to double the rate of employment of persons with disabilities in 10 years, by 2028. Uh, In other words, if you have two people in your workforce with disabilities, make it four. If you have 2%, make it 4%. If you have 5%, make it 10% in 10 years. Just put a goal out there of doubling it in in 10 years. Now, the Accenture report that Mark referred to, uh, that just came out recently, uh, which said the GDP would get a boost of $25 billion if we just had 1% increase in employment of persons with disabilities joining the workforce. They, they did this study over a four-year period. They found that companies with inclusive workplaces on average had 28% higher revenue, double net income, 30% higher economic profit margins. So you can go to the Accenture website and read it for yourself. Now again, uh, what I have seen over the last uh, 29 years is the great emergence of assistive te- technology <clears throat> and what it has done uh, to enable employers uh, to reach out and employ persons with disabilities they might not thought of before. It also uh, encourages persons with disabilities to seek employment in competitive integrated employment with these assistive technologies. Some of these are expensive, some are not. Uh, but it seems to me that businesses who would like to employ persons with disabilities, include them in their workforce, should have at least someone in their, in, their, uh, in their community, in their business, to begin looking at what assistive technologies might be needed. Think about it as a business that wants to increase its profit margin, and it wants to increase its sales or marketing, whatever, and they need to buy a Piece of uh, 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 equipment or a software program to do that. Well, think about investing in some assistive technology, so it broadens the workforce that they're able to go out after if they have that assistive technology. And think about it as a as a as a as a piece of equipment if you want to. That's uh, that's depreciable, deductible from your tax, te- huh? It's a capital investment. It's a capital investment. Thank you. I- not being a capitalist at heart, I didn't know that term. <laughs> I didn't understand that term, Ben. <laughs> but, no, that's alright. But everything from voice to text, text to voice, voice synthesizers, I brought with me a wonderful article it was sent to me just from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Now that I'm at the Press Club, I can talk about that. Uh, it just took place last week. Uh, it's Ali. Ahmed Ali has cerebral palsy, cannot speak, but used a speech synthesizer to give the graduation speech at the Minneapolis School District. It's a blessing, Ali said of his accomplishment. That was one of my happiest days. The 21-year-old Somali-American long had a yearning to speak in front of a crowd, but his voice never let him. That is, until he discovered the speech synthesizer. And for the first time ever, a speech through a synthesizer, was given to the graduating class in Minneapolis. So that's just an example, a small example, well, to him, a large example, of some of the things that, that can be accomplished with assistive uh, technology. So again, it's, uh, and again, I also want to add that assistive technologies, we have to think about it not just in terms of physical disabilities, deafness, blindness, mobility problems, but also think about it in terms of intellectual or developmental disabilities. Think about assistive devices for people with autism uh, that... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but think about assistive for persons with autism or with Down syndrome or a lot of different developmental disabilities. There are incredible devices out there. I, I had a young woman who worked for me once when I was in the Senate, an uh, uh, autistic young woman, and uh, and she had a device that, uh, you know, earphones that played, uh, not music, some, like, what do you call that? Anyway, it blocks out noise. And thank you. Who said that? White noise. Thank you, High white noise. And she could do her work just alongside everybody else. So sometimes it's just simple things like that. Sometimes it's more intricate. But I just wanted to say again, think about it, not just in terms of physical disabilities, but uh, but all disabilities. And again, I will close on this, Mark, I'm sorry. Shouldn't give me the mic. Um, <laughs> software developers, we've issued this challenge many times. Software developers, from the get-go, ought to be thinking about how they make that software universally adaptable and accessible, rather than trying to come back at the back end of it to change some of the, some of the, some of the, um, some of the things that. The, program to make it accessible. So software designers, hardware designers, from the very beginning should be asking the questions, how do we make this accessible to any person with a disability, broadly speaking? Thank you very much.
1: And I will add that we are canceling the commercials for the balance of this hour, so everybody has eight minutes now. So uh, Dr. Sir, if you're next, you, you can either go there or here, wherever you'd like.
4: Well, first of all, let me thank John Williams for organizing this. He deserves a huge hand for all the work he put into this. He's a tireless advocate. By the way, somebody's watch is here. Is that yours? Oh, it's it's yours? Okay. How much will you uh, offer (laughs) me for that? Sorry. It's an auction. You know, it's a fundraiser. The second thing, though, is to thank Senator Harkin, uh, not only for his cogent words this morning but for all he has uh, done for people with disabilities. And I also want to thank the Press Club for hosting this event. Uh, First thing I'd like to point out is that people with disabilities frankly don't think of themselves as disabled. And I feel like I can speak with some authority. I wear hearing aids and have done for 63 years. I think of myself as hearing repaired as opposed to impaired. Thank God, you know, these hearing aids have gotten better over time and I lose about a dB a year on the average, so uh, they sort of balance each other. Uh, I think that most of us who have a disability like this think of themselves as simply differently abled. And we have to have some accommodation in order to overcome some of these problems. In my case, it's hearing aids. In my wife's case, she has two cochlear implants. Uh, And I have other friends who have various assistive technologies that allow them to function. Uh, in the in the uh, regular world. So when we provide accommodations for uh, people with disabilities, we actually affect more people than those who have the disability because they have friends, they have family, and they have coworkers, and those assistive technologies actually help all of those other people in addition to the person who is specifically using that assistive technology. And so we should remember when you hear statistics to multiply the numbers by the number of people affected by assistive technology, whose lives are improved, who allow them to communicate with and work with people who have become accommodated. In fact, I think language is a big issue here. The term disability is already a troublesome term because it has so negative consequences and implications. A friend of mine decided that he would look for new vocabulary, he refers to cool abilities. And he points out, for example, that people who are on the autistic spectrum actually have the ability to work and detail and better than many other people do. That's not the only example, but it's the point to be made here is that we should try to stop talking about disability and start talking about cool abilities, people putting to work things that they can do well. And that raises another very important point, point. I think the senator would agree with me, that not only uh, does putting people to work improve their personal economies, but it also improves their sense of self-worth because they feel like they're contributing to the society that they live in. And it adds to the workforce, which is good for the country. And it also promotes diversity and out-of-the-box thinking. Just think for a moment, if you are disabled, I hate that word, uh, and differently abled, if you have to overcome something every day, think of the ingenuity that you put into that, and now imagine putting that ingenuity to work solving problems. In general, people who have to overcome these problems actually have real out-of-the-box thinking better than uh, some of the rest of us do. The other point about accessibility Uh, and the software point that the senator made, is that accessibility actually morphs into something else I will call usability. Frankly, we all need it and we all want it. We want simplicity, we want intuitive user interfaces, and simply thinking about this as overcoming a disability like vision problems or hearing problems or motor problems is too limiting. The real story is all of us want usability across the spectrum. I tell my software engineers it's easy to design interfaces that are hard to use. It's hard to design interfaces that are easy to use. At Google, for example, uh, we have started investing in uh, accessibility uh, methods or uh, aids uh, for accessibility one of them uh things that we've done here uh is called live transcribe and while i've been talking uh this system uh has been transcribing what i've been saying so i don't I, you can't see this very well but in fact it is transcribing fairly accurately every word that i say it does this in 70 different languages Uh, We are working on the other part, which is to translate those languages in real time. The guy that invented this live transcribe application is a deaf Russian uh, whose speech, uh, he was born deaf, so his speech is impaired in addition to his hearing. Uh, And so in addition to designing and building this, which he uses regularly for meetings like this, uh, he, we also have something called Euphonia, which is learn how to understand his rather unusual brand of English, which is tinged with Russian and everything else, and then repeat that in uh, a form which is more understandable to everyone else. Those are just two examples of the kinds of things that uh, that Google is using artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to improve upon. And I have a colleague here who uh, will be able to stay for Q uh, and A Q&A after I have to run off to uh, to the airport. So the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, that there are people who are normally abled who become temporarily disabled. I almost wish everyone at one point in their life will experience a temporary disability because then they will have to overcome that disability for a period of time and appreciate what it might mean if you have to overcome that problem all the time for your entire life. So breaking a leg and sitting in a wheelchair for six weeks might be a really good experience for people who don't entirely appreciate what it means to be uh, wheelchair-bound. So I use that just as an example to say that um, it's important to remind people that they, too, may experience a temporary disability and they will appreciate any accommodation that can be made uh, to help them during that period of time. I think that Americans, I suppose I shouldn't, pick on them, but let me, let me. since I'm an American, I'll pick on myself. Uh, I think Americans have a relatively thin understanding of what disability means. And to illustrate this, I'll tell you an anecdote. I went to the airport once and I said, I'm hearing impaired. Uh, I may not hear the announcements. Can you please make sure that I get on the plane? And the nice little uh, gal behind the counter said, do you need a wheelchair? <laughs> so, um, the, we need to help educate people about the range of disabilities. It's very important when I talk to my engineers about how to design uh, technology that's accessible that they understand that there is a range for all of these. You know, you have visual impairment, which can be fairly limited, glasses help, all the way up to someone who's totally blind. Similarly, uh, hearing impaired people or totally deaf people. So when you're thinking about how to design something that will work for everybody, you have to remember that it's a whole spectrum for these various conditions, and you have to think very hard about how am I gonna make this application work across this this final range? The last point I wanna make is that education counts, and it's important that everyone get a good education. Disabilities are no, which means accommodation is important, but it's also important for one other reason, Children born today will probably live for a hundred years. Think of the implications of that. Think about the fact that the uh, smartphone was developed only twelve years ago in 2007. Think about how dependent we are on that technology now. Think about seven decades of new technology development. Think about being relevant and competent for possibly a 70-year career. Don't you agree that you're going to have to learn new things in order to be productive and relevant? That means we can't use the model that we have been using, which is learn a while, earn a while, retire. It's going to have to be learn a while, earn a while, learn a while, earn a while, etc., etc., rinse uh, and repeat. So we'll have to teach people how to learn and to want to learn Wanting to learn is tough because you have to learn something new. You can't keep doing what you were doing in order to have a successful career. You have to keep changing what you can do. So internet may have a role to play. It's not the only tool for learning and education, but it's going to be important that people learn for their entire lifetimes. And that applies to every single one of us, disabilities or no. Thank you very much.
1: Surf, and uh, that gives new meaning to the phrase "break a leg." You actually mean it. <laughs> <laughs> so. yes. Go ahead. I'm going to
5: um, I am unfortunately going to be uh, one who, um, as soon as the uh, technology catches up here, um, uh, speaks uh, about. Uh, Problems that we're going to be having. So, um, in addition to the uh, optimistic note that we've been having, uh, and for some reason we have lost our, uh, our video. It's some
2: piece
5: of yes, isn't it, it the technology oh, that that fails? Um, not on both, and it's oh, oh. and it's also uh, seems to be uh, quite small. Uh, but at any rate. That will put you all at an additional advantage. Um, I want to talk about an emerging crisis that we have, and it's one of our own making. Um, While technology is enabling independence and employment and income uh, for some, uh, it's actually creating barriers for others, and this is a real problem. People who cannot understand and use our modern technologies They used to be able to get an education. They used to be able to be employed. And they used to be able to live independently without needing to understand and use the technologies. This is the world that we all grew up in. um, But that's not true anymore. We are creating a society that requires the ability to understand and use all of these technologies. And unfortunately, we are not designing the technologies to be designed by all much less usable by all. Now, we have made progress. We have some special interfaces. We talk about inclusive design strategies. But these are largely for individuals that have higher levels of technical abilities. We talk about screen readers and how wonderful they are and that they allow people who are blind to be able to use computers and do all these wonderful things. But if you look below the the first layer, what you'll find out that these are people who are blind who also are good with technology. There are many, many people who are blind and have low vision who have no ability to try to use these technologies. They're really complex. And if you've ever tried to use a screen reader, you will know. And if you haven't, try it once. I have something I call TQ, technology quotient and it's your ability to understand and use technology. And it's not equal to IQ. Don't think that, don't confuse that, because I know people that are blazingly brighter than I am. And they can't use their technologies, but I can. So even those of us here, all of whom have way above average IQ and TQ, have trouble with our technologies. Anybody here who does not have trouble with their technologies, who hasn't argued with it, we were just talking about people, uh, even those of us on the podium, we do. But if we have trouble with the technologies, if you have trouble with your computer, if you have trouble with your thermostats, if you have trouble with the automated banking systems and getting on the sites and figuring it out, what about the half of the population that are below median? Remember, you're not anywhere near median. You're way up here and you're having trouble. How about the people? And how about the people in the 20%? And how about the bottom 10% of people who really have trouble with technology? Uh, What are they going to do? What do we do in a world where you can't go to school, you can't get an education, you can't get a job these days without being able to use computers? Even when we create features to make things more accessible, and even when we make technology features to make them simpler, they're buried so deep that it's too complex to get down to them. Um, we had one individual, for example, uh, it was an older woman who came into our uh, our lab, and we asked them, you know, have you used technology before to get kind of a baseline? And um, she said, oh, yeah, I used to use a computer. And I said, what'd you use it for? And she said, well, I used it for email, and um, then I used this Skype thing, and I would use it to talk to my grandchildren and all that stuff, and and then some of my other fellow seniors, we had this Facebook thing that we were all doing together. I said, wow, that's pretty amazing. I said, you said you used to use it. And she said, oh, yeah. Um, One day I heard the kids in the other room, and and they were saying, ah, the computer's all messed up for Grandma again. And I figured, you know, I've had my time. This is their time. So I don't use the computer anymore. Yeah, I just, my, it just tore my heart out. And The problem is, she was unable to set it up and then when she was done, she was unable to unset it up. Before it was turned on, before she had the accessibility features on, she couldn't use them. So we have features now that can take screens that are too small and we can make them larger. Um, We have things that if you sit down and it's in a language that's not your own, we can instantly change it into your language. We have things that you can have high contrast if you need it, and then when you're done, it will be gone. Um, We have the ability, how many people use Word and get lost in all of the menus, okay? So you have the ability to instantly make the menus simpler and easier, Um, but if you need to use the feature and you have to have the feature turned on in order to use the computer to turn the feature on, we have a problem, and you'd say, oh, we'll do a hotkey. Yeah, okay. Take somebody who's having trouble with technology and tell them that these, if you do this chordic combination and that chordic combination... That, uh, right exactly. And, and how many people have actually <laughs> done that, and the computer went off and did something completely other than what you thought it was, and now you don't know how to get back where you were. So... Even if you do that, most people, it's too complicated. You show them how to do it, and it's so complicated, it's like click here, click there, um, that we have barriers. Now, we've been working on a problem uh, with a tool called Morphic, and it tries to make things uh, simpler, so that you can have something like this, where you can bring it up, and as we said before, you can uh, easily change to the high contrast. Um, You can, um, in an instant, uh, you can... Uh, change it then back instantly when you're done. You can make the screen larger uh, without having to, uh, you know, burrow down through the uh, various uh, menus to be able to figure out how to do it. Uh, You can even take... um, So let's just uh, make the screen larger. And again, all of this stuff are features that are built right into the program, um, but how do you find them? Um, Even for Word, so we take Microsoft Word with all of its menus, uh, and you can have it so that you can just do a simplification uh, to make it simpler. And so you say, oh, that's really easy. Bingo. The menus are simpler. Um, that should solve the problem, right? Well, nope. Um, first of all, this isn't the technology we need to be addressing, we need to be talking about what is coming. Okay, tomorrow is not going to look like this. We'll keep introducing new technologies and we'll keep looking at them as the advantages they give us. And we don't look at how the complexity they introduce is going to be taking access away from others. Um, tomorrow we're going to have voice and conversation, we're going to have gestures and natural abstract, we're going to have virtual and augmented reality, and these aren't going to be just for the kids playing games, this is what we're going to be seeing in our schools. We're going to have liquid hardware interfaces, we're going to have direct brain interfaces, and people say, oh, I would never have a direct brain, inter- I would never let my kid do that, and I would say... You'll have your kid have a direct brain interface at the same time that the four other kids in the classroom have it, and all the other kids are starting to get them because now they have. it's easier for them to do. They have access to more information, and all of a sudden you look at a level playing field. What does this look like? I mean, this all sounds like science fiction to us. Guess what? What we are doing now was science fiction just not very long ago. We'll be able to will things to happen. And we will be merging with the internal and internal. And those of us who can deal with the complexities of trying to do that, that's great. And everybody else, what happens? They fall farther behind. Um, Are we doing all these technologies for everyone? No. So what's the takeaway? We are creating barriers with technology to education, employment, and daily living for anyone who has trouble using technology. And we're not doing this just because making everything depend on technology. We're doing it because we do not comprehend how complex what we're doing is to the people who are not technologically adroit like we are. And because we design it to be simple in our eyes, with our IQ and TQ, but not for those who struggle with technology. We are disabling people with the complexity of what we design. And we need to do it. We don't recognize it. We think it's them. We think it's their problem, is that they have trouble using our technologies. And the answer is no. They had fine, they could live just fine until we decided to make the world over in our technology orientation. And we don't realize how serious this is. So I leave this with you with this thought. What if the only way for you to get a job was to be able to do calculus and differential equations? Okay, You can't get a job unless you have a high MQ, math quotient. Okay, Or the only way to get a job was to be a great artist. You had to have a high AQ. And if you aren't an artist, you just can't get a job because we've designed the whole world to be based on on art somehow. How many of us would be at a job center feeling hopeless because people just said, oh, you just, just, just learn art. Just become an artist. And we talk to people who aren't technically oriented as if being technically oriented is just a matter of wanting to be technically oriented. And, and we know that that's not true because we have very, very bright, very, very accomplished people who are not shirkers. They just don't understand the technology. And we would end up in the position they are, and we need to understand that it's not their fault, it's it's our fault. We need to be figuring out how to design things better. So why aren't we creating a world where you can't get along with a high TQ, or an average one, or even a low one? Uh, we need to figure out how to design for all levels of TQ. Um, layered complexity, easier entry, so that people can get up the, the, the pike, uh, and more. And, Just a couple little anecdotes to get you an idea for how serious this is. We were at a job center, and we walked in, and there's a person standing there looking at somebody sitting at a computer. Now, there's 24 computers lined up. They're all exactly identical, and they're all in identical cubes. And he stands there for 20 minutes, and then he leaves. And a few hours later, he comes back, and the computer's empty, and he sits down, and he works at it. And so we came over, and just curious, he said, you know, why did you want to work on this particular computer? And he says, I know how to use this one. And you'd said, well, the other ones are like that. And he says, I don't know. that. I just know that I know how to do this. We had somebody else who was squinting at the screen, and we showed them the way to could make it larger. Oh, thank you. This is so much better. It was wonderful. I can do things so much faster. Come back the next day, they're squinting at the screen. And so we asked them, they said, yeah, I know, but I was afraid I would break the computer. And so I didn't want to, 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 to touch it. And so we figured, oh, that's a job center, right? We hear the same thing at community colleges. We hear the same thing at the University of Maryland, from the students at the University of Maryland, who talk about when they use computers, they're very tentative about what they want to do. They only do the couple things that somebody showed them that they know how to do, because they're afraid they'll mess up the computers. We really need to figure out how to make things simpler, or we are simply going to exclude people from our future world, not just employment and uh, many, many more people than we realize. Thank you.
6: Thank you. Is the mic okay? Okay. Um, As we all consider how to tap the the 11 million people um, with disabilities for the workforce, um, I think a pivotal path to success in this area will be the growth of inclusive mindsets that help companies, hiring managers and employers, overcome both the misconceptions and the stereotypes about disability. These invisible barriers um, can often be the hardest to overcome. You've heard about the the technological barriers and I think through information and education there is hope to combat this problem. Um, At Perkins where I work as the director of the library. We do many different things, and one of the um, projects that we work on, um, in collaboration with the Harvard Extension School, has um, we've developed a free edX course in which businesses and hiring managers learn how to identify potential barriers to the employment of people with disabilities particularly those who are blind and visually impaired, best practices for recruiting and onboarding of people with disabilities, and how to improve the workforce accessibility and culture to support candidates with different types of disabilities. And this 12-week self-paced course runs three times a year, and it's free. So that's one way that Perkins is trying to attack this huge problem by using education of um, people who want to do the right thing but aren't quite sure how to go about doing it. You've heard several wonderful examples of you know the the technology aspect, and, and while we recognize the societal and the attitudinal barriers mentioned. The digital barriers are a a significant barrier for employment, particularly um, in my case and my experience with people who are blind. But people with all types of disabilities experience a range of challenges when they're accessing the online information for getting ready to apply for a job, finding the announcements, completing an inaccessible online application, which is how everybody does it these days, to the challenges of the interview process, to the experience of, if you're successful at landing that job, the onboarding process. Um, As an example, learning that the new employer you work for um, has a timekeeping system that's accessible to your assistive technology. I use a screen reader, which is software, that allows my computer to speak what you see on the screen. And that provides me with with the access I need to do the tasks I do every day. There's guidelines and best practices for the digital accessibility, um, and they've existed for decades. The World Wide Web Consortium developed guidelines, and they are included in the federal government section 508 standards which were refreshed in 2017 by the U.S. Access Board. Many companies have seamlessly integrated accessible, universal design into their websites and mobile apps as a matter of course. But it has um, been easier, and it certainly is easier and more cost-effective to incorporate accessibility into a website or an app from the early design phase rather than retrofitting the website or the mobile app later down the road. This makes it even more difficult to understand why companies like Domino's are fighting so hard to remain inaccessible for customers who are blind or visually impaired. (laughs) Companies should welcome the flexibility that they presently have to implement accessibility in a way that makes their products and services available to all consumers. Rather than settling for a quick fix, it is the best interest of all companies to ensure that all users have equal access to their products and services. I also want us to think about the infrastructure. It's great to get a job, But as a person with a disability, it's also important for me and my colleagues to be sure that we have a way to get to that job. So an important aspect in my work with the American Council of the Blind is advocacy around transportation, for making sure that there's technology and access to get to work, to dealing with... um, well, here in the D.C. area, the Metro is pilot testing Blindways. Blindways is an app developed by Perkins with funding through Google to help people who are blind navigate within four feet of a bus stop. And you all use GPS, and you know you generally get pretty close to your destination, maybe 30, 40 feet away. For a blind person, 30, 40 feet could be the next block. So Blindways will be um, installed in 10 metro stations and 20% of the bus stops. And through crowdsourcing, it provides clues to help a user find the bus stop and verify that they're in the right location. So that's a great use of technology to help somebody get to work. Autonomous vehicles are also the buzz. And ride-sharing programs. They both have the potential to help people with disabilities reach a new level of transportation freedom. And the crux of the success will hinge on the accessibility and flexibility of each vehicle's human interface communication ability. That's the vehicle's ability to recognize and communicate with me audibly, while my blind or my deaf colleagues can use sign language interface or a text interface. What's most important and that the American Council of the Blind has been working on is developing the legislative requirements so that people with disabilities don't get legislated out of the opportunity to use autonomous vehicles. We have to make sure that there's not legislation that says you have to have a driver's license to use an autonomous vehicle. I don't think that benefits anyone and isn't necessary. So autonomous vehicles is obviously the future for so many people with disabilities to negate the transportation barrier that they face. Just curious about some of you, and have you ever used a micro-mobility service? Now you probably, what is that? So that's the fancy name for the bikes and the scooters that are popular in cities these days that can be a great um, asset when you hop on and zoom down the sidewalk, but can be also a tremendous obstacle for people with disabilities when they're left, right in the middle of the sidewalk, and become a barrier or dangerous for somebody. Or the fact that so many people are being injured because they don't know how to use a micromobility device. So my work, um, providing information access, my advocacy through ACB, all hinges upon taking all of these factors into consideration. Making sure that the infrastructure, that the intranet, that our assistive technology, that the transportation network, the autonomous vehicles, and the micromobility devices are all there doing what they need to do to increase the opportunities and the accessibility for people who have disabilities to work in our workforce. Companies that improve their inclusion of people with disabilities over time are four times more likely to outperform their their peer companies, and that is a good thing, like diversity and inclusion, and it's absolutely good for business. So thank you.
1: Next up, Chet Cooper.
4: I have to tell you, I just discovered Kim's cool ability. She doesn't have to look down at her notes in order to talk to you. She can look directly at you while she's reading the Braille. That's really cool. She to
2: look directly at you. I like this. Uh, among the 11 million people with disabilities unemployed in this country, Historically, you know, are these, you're looking at a Thomas Jefferson, you're looking at great minds. Okay, and um, we need to think about that. We need to think about the minds that are being wasted because people don't want to hire people with disabilities. No, go ahead, John. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
7: And thank you, John, for for putting this together. Um, And what a wonderful group of people and and some of the audience, uh, some of the leaders in the disability movement are here as well, I see. Um, I won't call you out, but Judy, no, I I won't do this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, several things happen with the way I I think, which is not necessarily the best thing. Um, I have a slide presentation that tries to keep me on track, but several things people have said here... um, make me want to say something uh, beyond that. Um, and and as I'm looking at my notes, I realize it's going to take way too long, so I will try the slideshow, and I'll come back to the notes if we have time. So um, if everyone here, I'm going to um, talk a little bit about this unconscious bias. Is everyone familiar with unconscious bias? Um, so I'm gonna, I, I need some audience participation, so can I sh- see a show of hands of people that have never... Show their hands if asked to show their
8: hands. (laughs)
7: Thank you. I I wrote that joke. Um, So, um, so seriously, how many people uh, think that they have unconscious bias? Wow. So almost everyone understands their their. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Tom says he 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 does not.
9: (laughs) I couldn't hear you. (laughs)
7: Is this mic, or am, are you hearing me? Okay. Um, so the definition of unconscious bias, um, basically as, as it's showing on the screen, is, is based on stereotypes and automatic unintended, deeply ingrained universal um, abilities to influence behavior. And the reason I'm going to talk a little bit about this is the connection between unconscious bias and employment of people with disabilities. Um, so a little quick showing that we know how to make PowerPoint. Um, so what I'm showing you, are, I'm going to show you a few different slides, and this is going to be directed a little bit of even of some people in the um, audience that are journalists, um, different types of journalists, maybe even somebody on the panel like someone, let's say, Vince Cerf, um, who was with Google. When programmers or different um, elements of the media describe... Things, they often use the word disabled. So we are having this conditioned process within our minds that basically say, well, wait, disability means it doesn't work. So every day we're seeing the word disabled, meaning it's not functional, it does not work. So I'm showing you from Microsoft here in this NPR, disabled, bad line here, but this, to, to make it not work, to, uh, to make a, a system not uh, capable... W3C, D- W3, does everyone know W3? So they basically are the organization that talks about how to make accessible websites. On their own website, they use, look at how many times they use the word disable, to disable controls, et cetera. So we're using this language that is just continually confusing the layperson about disabilities. So it goes on and on. There's, um, you can see, as I See Even what I said right now, sorry, not everyone can see what I'm doing here. So there's there's a screen right now that says National Disability Institute launches disabled poverty campaign. So in their name of the organization is National Disability Institute, but they're calling it to disable poverty. So the words, even within that statement, shows the disconnect between that. So here's a picture I took flying out here. This is American Airlines. Almost all airlines do this. Tampering with disabling or destroying the smoke detector. So we have this constant barrage. So what we have is a campaign that we're trying to ask people to agree in some form. If you're a writer, let's say you're um, doing radio and there's a disabled car causing a traffic jam, what if we just say that there's a stalled vehicle? What if instead of disable, you say turn off or disconnect or stop or disengage or shut down, deactivate? Several different words that can be used rather than using the word disable. So we have a website that you'd go on, suggest. I was just at the web conference in San Francisco, and I gave a speech about this, and most of the programmers agree we could use different language. So I'm looking at Vince right now to say go back to Google and see if their engineers can do this as well. So um, I won't go into this this completely about different languages. um, And sticks and stones is is this area that we have that talks about the use of language and how it can and cannot uh, benefit people. So I I, I want everyone here, I'm going to ask you questions about this slide right now. (laughs) Um, um, So then there's other language within this concept of inspiration and aspiration. Has anyone heard the term inspirational porn? Yes. yes, okay. So that's a little frustrating because we're preaching a little bit to the choir. So I always like it when people don't know any, not that it's not frustrating you know this, but um, oftentimes people come to talks that deal with disability and it's people that are in that in that genre. So it's always best to try to get out to the broader broader audience. But I won't go into it then if most people seem to have nodded their head when I was looking out there. So it's, to tell a good story, it should be inspired. It shouldn't be, it should be as a um, – we shouldn't need the term in such a way to say, can you believe that the person did that? Just because they're using a wheelchair, just because they're deaf, just because—if—if you just replace that with another minority, would that sentence make sense? And it probably wouldn't. So it seems that disability is just one of those areas that people really have a disconnect still. As several of us talked on the the side of this panel. So back to employment now. So one of the things that we did was we're kind of social change agents. We we did publish started publishing magazine in nineteen ninety around. Health and Disability, we call it Ability. It's always been our focus on ability. Um, as, as everyone knows, that um, President Bush signed the ADA. How many people know Justin Dart? Okay, that's good. So you should look him up some days. He's, he's, uh, he did some great work. Several people have been fathers and, and mothers of the disability movement, and uh, so I'm gonna go through some slides quickly, basically saying percentage of the people on the planet have disabilities. Um, so what we've done is, in, in the employment sector, we created, uh, and I was just talking to Vince this morning about, um, we created the first employment site in 1995 on the web, and we partnered with Career Mosaic. So Mosaic was the first uh, system that basically modified the web to, uh, to look what starting to look like rather than just text. Um, so we've helped hundreds of thousands of people over the years connect with companies that are actively Seeking Qualified People with Disabilities. We call it ADA, Ability Disab- ADA. Americans, help me out here. What did I just say? ADA stands for um, Affirmative Disability Action is what is, is our ADA. So Affirmative Disability Action. And in that, those companies that are truly trying to find qualified people with disabilities use our systems. Now, recently, there's a movement called, um, um, have all, we all been to a job fair in the past? So job fairs have been brick and mortar, table, talk to recruiter, talk to job seeker. It's all moving now online, like everything's moving online. So one of the problems with the systems, and we've used them in our own system, is the platforms that exist are not accessible platforms. So they have chat boxes, chat rooms, and just a few of them now starting to have a video. So we built our own, and what we did is we built a a system that is um, face-to-face video, uh, if it has all kinds of assistive technologies built into the system. But I think one of the cooler features um, that we have is, is if the recruiter and job seeker are face-to-face video, um, and it, that person happens to be deaf, they click another button, and a third video comes up, and the sign language interpreter is in play. So there's an accessibility feature built to as many disabilities as we could think of. Um, We actually use Google speech, the word you were just talking about. We use that technology for the speech, uh, uh, live speech uh, translation. So um, this is a quick uh, attorney that...
8: The National Industry Liaison Group conference for government contractors. I'm an attorney with Seyfarth Shaw, Um I'm here to kind of highlight some of the great work that AbilityJobs.com and uh, the Ability Jobs Career Fair uh, is doing to break down the barriers that exist between. Uh, Job seekers who, who have disabilities and employers who are trying to, to connect with candidates and, and fill uh, fill openings within their organization. So the the AbilityJobs.com uh, platform creates a, a very easy user interface, um, both to uh, kind of list your jobs and connect with uh, with, with uh, qualified applicants with disabilities, um, and then also their uh, their job fair page. Allows, uh, allows individuals to, uh, to, to connect with job seekers who, who have disabilities and, and uh, kind of overcome accessibility barriers by connecting, say, individuals who are deaf with an interpreter and allowing for the, the career fair to proceed in a way that, that prior to this would have been unheard of. Thanks, I'm signing off.
7: Um, so he was a young attorney that works on disability employment issues with his law firm, and he happened to just come by our booth, and he just did that on the fly. So that's why it's kind of rough, and, um, but he just got it immediately, and he was so excited. And I, I'm the one who was filming that on my phone, and I angled it the wrong way, but <laughs> technology. Um, and so this, the uh, other thing that's really cool about our platform is that if, uh, we always have more job seekers uh, than, than time for a career fair. So what we decided to do was allow a video post for any person who didn't get to speak to a recruiter to um, do a three minute video that goes right to the recruiter. And, and um, so we've had our, some of the clients we've already had have been Facebook and uh, just some very large uh, entities that have been using the system to recruit and, and hire. And so this is a quick example.
6: I have a degree, a bachelor's of science in.
7: So I won't go through that. Oops. Um, how do we stop somebody somebody stop me um, so the, um, the, so that person uh, left a job, uh, left her video um, post and, and she did get employed. We, we followed up with some of these people um, to see how things were working for them and uh, so a lot a grat- lot of gratitude from the system that ne- they 've never seen before. so the next quick video, if you noticed in my intro, I had a couple dot coms a couple dot orgs um, mentioned. So, this next video, I, uh, I put it up there mostly for um, just to show you some cool things that we 've done in the past with our nonprofit, but also Tom Harkin actually came to one of our first houses we built uh, with Habitat, and he uh, was so nice to help with the groundbreaking ceremony. So that next video you're going to see is just a quick little blurb of um, our ability House project that brings volunteers with disabilities to help build homes for families with disabilities. We actually partnered with HP at one point and built probably one of the first smart homes for a young man who was uh, shot in the neck and was um, quadriplegic, and he wanted to live on his own, and HP came in, and this is back in the 90s, uh, and built a, a house that it was voice-activated and, and many of the systems that existed that we built into it from. Um, so this next really quick little video um, does that. Just And again, thank you, Tom Hartman. And why doesn't it play?
10: There's been a a big push nationally um, to create some resources to to help organizations that use volunteers understand um, and and be able to have some tools to. To be inclusive, to let everybody be able to come and volunteer and use whatever talents he or she has.
4: What people in need should understand is that if there's assistance, it's about helping, not about the person. It's
7: about the process, it's about the hope that things will get better
4: or easier for those in need, despite whatever they are, that are or the people who are helping out. Uh, just as you have disabled individuals building houses for disabled individuals, how much better can that be? It's important about giving and taking both ways,
0: not about the person, the, the disability.
7: So, uh, everyone recognized the voice or, or the image uh, that was Marley Matlin. Um, and um, so, and the person, if maybe. Um, um, you couldn't recognize what was happening. Uh, some people definitely. There's volunteers building a house. One of the volunteers has no arms, and his, he uses toes for everything, but his toes are so strong that he was using a power saw and cutting some wood um, with building the house. Um, you don't want to shake foot with him, um, but really, he really has a powerful um, grip. Um, and he's a musician, he plays guitar with his feet. Um, and so uh, so the takeaway basically is um, the, if you want some questions, hopefully you do, um, on the side here is Shelley, who is with Ability. Um, hopefully you can talk to her and, and get some information. And thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Rob, you're the last panelist to uh, address the group before we go to Q&A, which we promised to do.
9: Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, hi, my name's Rob Wong. Um, I'm the CEO of Controlbonics, and as an Australian who came here um, two and a half years ago um, with the idea of our founder to create um, a product that could really help people, um, I must admit I'm in awe um, to be in the company of the people that are standing here today, and um, a great gratitude to uh, to John Williams in believing in us when we just had an idea. Um, And now as I stand here today, we have um, a product that Medicare, um, the VA and Medicaid support as a product that helps people communicate in the most severely severe state. Um, So what I'd like to talk about today um, is for us to think about what Senator Harkin um, was saying is that the, the asset that we have in the minds of disabled people that we don't take advantage of in terms of employment is, is a really interesting prospect when you think about how do we access and mine that resource that is sitting there and our technology really starts to do some of those things and I'll talk about that a little bit a little bit later um, but I really want to um, focus on sort of why, um, what are the macro trends and I'm really, really positive about where assistive technology is going into the future for disabled people. Um, I think to date a lot of the technology has been focused on welfare systems almost in terms of just keeping basic people, um, basic communication, but not even thinking about how those skills and that assistive technology can be translated into economic value. And I think we're at that, at that point now where these things are really, really starting to happen on a, on a major scale. And if I think about the, the really macro trends that are going on, we're seeing fantastic development of assistive technology coming to the fore to help people in a whole range of different things. We've got cochlear ear plants. We've got um, new devices which are assisting blind people. We've got apps that are now starting to develop to assist people that are happening. We've got our technology, which is allowing people in the most severe um, disability to be able to control a computer and and get in charge of their destiny. And so I think that's an amazing trend and technology is going to get better for people who have disabilities as we move forward into the future. But there's another trend that I think is really important if we're talking about employment, about where employment is going for all of us. And where are we seeing it? We're seeing that manual work in lots lots of ways is going to change into the future, but what we're seeing is we're going to have a demand for what I call the thinking jobs. The jobs were, you know, really, really important um, computer programmers, people who can design things. Um, With assistive technology, a lot of these jobs can be done by people that have the most profound disabilities. We're also seeing an amazing change in terms of how we work into the future. You know, a large percentage of us are all going to be freelancers. We're going to be able to, to, to shop our work around based on our skills. We're also That means that we're going to be working from home and our technology is already coming home and allowing us to be able to to work from home. Um, and I think that's great news for people who who are disabled because we can start to peel away all of those stereotypes that we've been talking about. Mm, I don't know whether I'll employ you because... I'm not going to say it, but... Um, I think I'm going to choose someone else. Sorry, he didn't get the job. Whereas I think that the talent that is sitting within people um, should not be wasted. And I couldn't agree more with John that, you know, a brain is, is almost the cheapest resource you could ever get. And yet so many people in this in this world are just said, sorry, because of your physical disabilities um, or whatever it is, we're just going to put you off to the side in a scrap heap. And I think that is the greatest shame. And certainly in terms of our company and what we saw was the, the potential and our founders' um, vision for our technology um, was that we could, do, we could do that for a whole range of different people. So our, just quickly, our technology is an EMG-based technology where I think about the muscle that is, that is moving beyond, underneath this watch um, and I can control the computer. And that seems amazing. Um, it is, and it's amazing. As, as um, Vint was talking about how do we make things simple, um, we have to think about how we can think, make things accessible and simple. But the, the key point that I want to make is in terms of what we're doing. I want to talk about who we've helped. Um, we have a gentleman in New York City who has Lyme's disease, which means that he's totally incapacitated. He is a C++ programmer. And he uses our technology to be able to control a computer. He supports his family. He works for an electrical power company. Um, and he's able to support his family. And I think that's one of the great opportunities that we have for someone like that. But to see him in a room, um, you'd say, how can this person even live, let alone have a job that supports two, chi- two kids? And we know that he can do that. Um, I've also got in the room, asked to come along, um, one of our clients, who, um, who is, is over here to, to my left. Hi, Jessica. Um, Jessica Nielsen um, is a user of our product. And um, about 18 months ago now, I think it was, Jeff, um, she had, a, had a, um, a bacterial infection which led to a full stroke um, at the base of her spine, leaving her um, severely disabled in terms of her motor functions. Um, Great mind, sassy, all that sort of stuff, Um, but um, incapacitated in terms of her ability to be able to control computers uh, or be able to function normally. And with our device, um, this young lady is able to text her friends, she's able to study um, and and be able to control um, her life. And she has the potential to go back to university. So, and and finally, I just want to talk about one thing. Uh, We have another child who's a seven-year-old, eight-year-old child in New York City who has SMA and she was looking at not being able to go back into her upper class with her normal classmates because she couldn't communicate. Without advice, she's been able to continue to go up in her class, which means that she keeps keeps her education, she keeps her economic opportunities ahead of her as she grows up. So in, in, in finally, in, in closing, and I understand we're very short on time, um, I really want to say that, you know, with assistive technology, we have to get it in the hands of young kids. We have to make sure that they don't fall off so that they can have the education that allows them to succeed into the future. And I think if, if there's one message I would like to leave you with today, it's about that. And we think about getting assistive technology in the hands of young kids, don't allow them to be pushed off to the side. And while I'm confident... That if we do that, the jobs and the assistive technology as they grow up will be there, and we will take advantage as a country um, of all that economic value. So, thank you very much for your time, really appreciate it.
1: So, it occurs to me that any one of our speakers today could have probably uh, addressed you for the full hour, uh, so it was uh, good to have the full range of uh, perspectives that everybody brought to the conversation today. But now it's time for you to participate in a dialogue, so uh, we'd like to uh, offer you the opportunity to uh, pose a question. So we're, we're now at 15 past 11. I think the intention is to be out of here no later than 11.30. So. Um, Yes, go right ahead and if you wouldn't mind, please identify yourself before you ask the question. And if you want to ask it of a particular person, let us know who that is. And here comes a microphone.
11: Um, my name is Judy Human, and I'm interested in knowing from those of you who are involved in design whether or not you have disabled individuals that are a part of your teams who are not technologically advanced. Looking at the question, and the points that Greg made so eloquently.
1: Is there anybody in particular who wants to take that, Dr. Cerf?
11: uh,
4: Am I on? Yes. It's Vince Cerf, uh, Google. So the answer is uh, we have an accessibility team. Uh, It's central to our engineering operation. We have a mixture of people who are there, some of whom are deaf, some of whom are blind. But the more important point is that we don't have the full spectrum uh, at Google, and we need to have more input from people with the full range of uh, disabilities so we can test uh, how well our interface designs are working. So we also go outside to companies like Level Access, for example, among others. Uh, I uh, uh, absolutely agree that most programmers don't have the intuition that's needed to understand how to do a design that will work for a broad range of assistive uh, requirement. And it's it's developing that intuition that's so important. I keep hammering on the door of the D School at Stanford, the Design School, saying you should have a full program of uh, teaching people how to think through the early design stages to make things easily accessible uh, for everybody. So we're nowhere close to where we should be, but I can say events like this and others are drawing more and more attention to the fact that this is a really important fundamental design issue and it's not about sprinkling accessibility pixie dust on top of an existing system. John, you wanted to... I think it's really an
11: issue beyond accessibility in relationship to disability. I think it's an issue of people who, for whatever reason, are not able to use technology effectively and looking at this from a universal design perspective, if we get it right, with the requirements to ensure that people who have additional accommodation needs can get those addressed. But I think really we're not necessarily just talking about employees. We're talking about people who can be paid to come in and really work as things are being designed.
1: Understood. Good point. John, you wanted to pose a question, I believe? Yeah.
11: I just have a question
2: based on my experience. How many people in here with a disability have been told face-to-face you, I won't hire you because you have because you stutter or you're blind. Would you raise your hands? Gee, has anybody been denied? Wow. I left a job. Oh, can we get a microphone over here? So everybody, we want
4: to catch this. I'm Shelly Roy. I'm with Belated Magazine. I left a job once because... Every time I came in, they said, oh,
10: it's Tuesday again. What are we going to have you do? And it made me feel like because of my barriers that that was why I didn't have a job.
2: Yeah. I had it happen to me at least two dozen times in my life uh, up till maybe 35 years ago.
1: Let's go to another question from the audience right here in the front.
12: Thank you. My name is Jeff Meir. I'm the U.S. Executive Director for Humanity and Inclusion, which is a nonprofit that serves people with disabilities in 60 countries. Um, Delighted to be here with all of you and uh, very inspirational. I have a comment that leads to a question. My comment is that While it's wonderful that a lot of the technologies that we're talking about today are being created and marketed to very large corporations, you know, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks of the world, et cetera, we have to remember, and this is particularly true outside the United States, that more than 95% of all wage opportunities are in small businesses or among the self-employed. So while it's super super to have companies like Accenture coming on board and you know the very largest corporations in America taking inclusion as seriously as they do. What can be done to improve the access of small companies, particularly those where the barriers to acquiring even the simplest technologies can be daunting? Uh, for entrepreneurs who are just starting out with very little capital. What can be done to, to change that Great part question. of the I equation? Think we
1: got Anybody want to take that? Anybody want to step up? Yeah.
5: Two things. Um thing to actually You work. got it. There we go. go, yeah, go. Um, two things. Uh, one of them is uh, internship programs um, that a lot of small businesses are scared to death to hire someone with a disability because what if they don't work out? Um, and internships not only give... Uh, great opportunities for people with disabilities to to come in and and develop job skills and stuff to learn about the the workplace but it gives the employer the chance to discover the uh, uh, the potential and a lot of the things that people report who actually have people who who have disabilities but up front i even had one employer said i would never hire somebody with a disability and i said why and he said well because i could never fire them and i said well, oh, if they can't do the job, that that you know, that's it's okay to let them go. And he said, No, no, you don't understand. If I hired them, I would feel so bad when I fired them that I would never be able to fire them. So I will never hire them. Uh, and I thought about it for a while, and I went, That's terrible and completely, you know, makes sense from somebody who, who has has empathy. But it's it's self defeating. We have to find ways to to do that. And then the other one is. Um, you know, some of the things we're looking at where um, the technologies can be there. So that when they walk in, sit down, the assistive technologies show up and, um, the, uh, and don't show up three months later and, and things like that. Okay.
4: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. A
4: couple of answers uh, for this. The first one is to drive cost out of the assistive technologies. And I think uh, physics is with us here. The cost for some of these things is getting cheaper and cheaper, so that's good news right there. Um, The the second thing is that we might give some thought to the kinds of assistance that might be needed, accommodation that might be needed. Think about something as simple as a ramp so that somebody in a wheelchair can make it in and out. That could be a really interesting volunteer opportunity for the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, Rotary. I mean, think of all that, except they just don't know that, that somebody needs that. And so figuring out how to put together people that could use help, and small businesses in particular, to create the accommodations uh, might be a, just another step in the direction of solving the problem.
12: Senator? Jeff, the only thing I would
3: add is that uh, 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 thinking about a, a small business person starting a small business, a coffee shop, something like that, a person with a disability, first hurdle is capital. <laughs> capital again. Money. <laughs> Getting a loan uh, over a certain period of time. Uh, Accessibility to banking facilities is a big hurdle for someone with a disability. Uh, We need to do a better job with vocational rehabilitation and others around the United States to provide that kind of support. Uh, Internationally, of course, uh, humanity, uh, what you're doing internationally, things like the Grauman Bank and others around uh, the globe have started doing some of these things. Check with uh, Grauman Bank, and they are, they they started out, as you know, mostly for for women in small businesses. They're now looking at persons with disabilities in small business, but I would just add, not only access to capital, but a small business today also probably needs to be, have a website, (laughs) and so other people can access it. So there, again, is uh, uh, upfront help and support for someone starting a small business to have a website. Uh, I always use M's Coffee Shop. You, probably, I don't know if you heard me talk about M. Emily Hillman. You can all go to M's Coffee Shop, E M apostrophe S Coffee Shop in Independence, Iowa, uh, and you can buy coffee from her rather than Starbucks. Anyway, it's. <laughs> I just say that. <laughs> but uh, but again, the help. To set up a website so that she can market her products on a broader basis than just in the small town.
1: Very good. Uh, another question. I uh, will go in the back there, gentleman uh, in the back.
0: Thank you.
4: David Sparkman, uh, EHS Today, Material Handling and Logistics, and Industry Week magazines. Uh, two questions, uh, very quick. Um, One which is rather large is, is there a central website or location where a lot of this information can be easily accessed that you all were talking about today? Or is it still spread all over the place? And secondly, uh, when can reporters who use paper and pen at events like this have access to live transcribed?
1: Good, good questions, Dr. Surf. Those sound like almost an opportunity to promote Google products. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so actually, Live Transcribe is a, is a free app. You can download it and put it on your mobile. And so uh, deaf people, including my wife and I, uh, often uh, will just put it down on the table in the restaurant and uh, use it to assist our ability to hear. Um, But, I'm sorry, your first question, though, was whether there was a a central place to get all this information. There probably is not. Google search can help you find an awful lot of stuff, but it will tell you there are 25 million sites that have all this data. Uh, It might be really an interesting challenge for some of the people running uh, nonprofits who are here today, either uh, in the panel or in the audience, to think about how to aggregate more and more of that information and make it easier to find. Uh, it's pretty clear that uh, the availability of that information could make a big difference, especially for employers that uh, are unfamiliar with what's available uh, to achieve accommodation. Chet has another uh, point there to
1: make, and then we'll get one last question in. So, um, Hi. Everybody's going to chime in here. So
7: you actually can go to abilitymagazine.com. That's Um, (laughs) abilitymagazine.com. And we... uh, have different articles. Uh, we will be posting something about this, but through that, Senator Harkin, for example, has written for 14 years a column in the magazine, so you not only can learn so much about his great work over the years, but um, we have an article of, of um, with Rob. Uh, we um, John has written several times in the publication. Um, so th- there, not that we purposely aggregated this information. It just so happens because the magazine is what it is. Uh, it's been around for 30 years. It does grab content and produce content. Um, so that is one source. And it also will show you directions to the employment site uh, sites that I had mentioned earlier. Yeah,
5: it's hard to find one site, um, as he said, other than, than Google search, which gives it to you all, plus everything else in the world, too. Um, Uh, because you talked about so many diverse topics today. Um, For the technology parts, um, there is, uh, first of all, abledata.com. It gives you just assistive technologies in general. Um, There is the unified listing, which is uh, done as part of the global public inclusive infrastructure, uh, and that's ul.gpii.net. And... Um, that brings together uh, a really concentrated – anything about information and communication technologies and with much richer sort of searching and, and, and notifying capabilities. And then there's the developer space. Um, if you go to gpii.net, you can see both of those. Um, and that brings together stuff for people who are developing uh, technologies to make them more accessible. Um, but we talked about uh, you know unintentional bias, or, and we've talked about a lot of different things today. So I don't know that there's one site for that, um, but um, I it would be really great if we could talk about having something which was uh, a site, a curated uh, a site that would get take you down to where the the good information is, or even that would have. Uh, search phrases you could click on that were pre-canned because people don't know how to search on Google. They search for disability and employment. And it, they get, you know, gazillions of, of of everything, including 10,000 people, you know, in, in chat rooms. Um, but there are ways of structuring them, and that's something that we should be uh, working on as a field, I think.
1: Okay, we'll have time for one final thank succinct... You, comment? Yeah, absolutely. you haven't heard from me. i got to yeah, speak well, thank up to <laughs> So
6: thank you. And uh, as a librarian, I just have to say, Vint, don't listen. You don't always find the answer on the Internet. Yes. So remember, librarians are your friend. Yes. And um, ask a librarian, a good reference librarian, or the um, information, accessible information referral site that um, Perkins is a partner with called InfoEyes, I-N-F-O-E-Y-E-S dot org, where a librarian will take care of your information requests and send you information and in articles and journals. So um, remember librarians. We, we know answers, too. That's a great point. <laughs> That's a great point. Final question.
10: Uh, thank you, Mark. My name is Greg Shuckman. I'm with the University of Central Florida. And, and first, thank you to the club for, for doing this. Um, Senator Harkin, I've been living with MS for 20 years. So thank you for the leadership you've given with the ADA. M- my question, and this is kind of the global question for everybody, uh, although Senator Harkin certainly refers to you, um, there, was a, there is a convention uh, for people um, who live with disabilities, a UN treaty that failed in a Senate vote uh, when you were there by, I think, six votes. The Census Bureau says there's 40 million people that live with disability in the United States. It's the one of the biggest voting blocks, if you will, uh, going forward. And when people think about diversity, they often think about race and gender, and they don't think about disability. So so the stigma aside, what is it that's missing that that allows – our nation and the Senate to embrace the 40 million people who live with a disability, and why? Why didn't the treaty get signed?
1: I I th- well, I think that question was posed to the senator first. Senator, Does somebody else want to... oh. Senator, why don't you chime in first, because John's going to have the last comment.
3: Well, uh, the CRPD lost uh, uh, because well, I can give you the whole story, but I'm not going to give it, it lost. <laughs> Because there are certain senators who still believe in the black helicopter crowd. The U.N. is coming to take over. They're going to control things. Uh, There was uh, some uh, uh, input from the Right to Life movement that somehow it was going to encourage more abortions. Uh, uh, All kinds of misinterpretations of it that got out there. But... It was basically uh, uh, some senators just feel that if they could have their way, they would do away with the United Nations. They don't think we had to even belong to the United Nations, and so they were able to, uh, I think, instill a lot of fear uh, in their fellow senators that if they voted for it, they would get a primary op- opponent from the Tea Party. That all happened at the same, uh, and that's why it came down. We tried to bring it up again later, but it only took one person to object, and Ted Cruz always objected to our bringing it up. So, but I will say this: there's um, there's a misconception that the CRPD is is for us dead. You know, I forget every nation in the world has signed it. I think there's only four or five maybe um, that haven't signed on. I think we're in cahoots with Sierra Leone and
8: uh, I don't know where
3: else, a couple of other places. Um, But um, it's still alive. The president signed it under our constitutional system. The Senate has not approved it, but it's still alive. As you know, recently we just approved a uh, a constitutional uh, provision that was adopted, I think, under Thomas Jefferson, (laughs) if I'm not mistaken. He signed it. It was never approved by the Senate, but it was recently approved because it was alive all those years. So, it's still alive. All we need is the
1: right Senate,
3: <laughs> and uh, it can be ratified. Okay. And uh, now, uh, I don't know
1: if that answers your question. I think we really got to wrap up here. I think John, you wanted to make a point before I thank everybody for being here today.
2: Yeah. Um, with regard to your question, one the press has a i 've been part of it too, so the uh, press has a problem focusing on an individual who th- 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 they don 't see as being who they see as being super woman superman because they, they have learned to overcome the, the barriers. Uh, the, the, the second thing is uh, people with disabilities Abilities. when it comes time to vote, too many don't. Mm. They don't. And I have talked to people, uh, to both the Democrats and Republicans and Independents, about going out, registering people to vote. Uh, and they, um, there is very little interest in that.
3: I've been trying for some months now, and I'm not the only one, in the Democratic Party to get a question asked in the debate. I said we have the largest minority group in America that is still discriminated against on a daily basis, and you're not asking one question in the debates about it. Well, hopefully the next one, but so far we haven't succeeded
1: very well. Well, uh, this has been an enlightening panel. Uh, how about a nice, warm National Press Club round of applause for all of our panelists. Thank you. Thank you. John, did you want to add something about what happened before uh, the, the panel today?
2: Oh, yes. Um, just before this just before this Uhm. Uh, panel uh, started. Uh, each of the speakers w- 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 received an award, which came from people who um, who work for d- 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 the living. So they sent me the the highest dollar that I got was was ten dollars, and some people sent me five. Some people sent me one but they wanted me to, to give this this distinguished panel up here uh, uh, an, an award from them and not from a or corporation or foundation or a rich individual also this place has two very good restaurants <laughs> <laughs>
4: Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm sorry, I could just I'll yeah, say one more thing. Uh, so, so John uh, shows up and and he surprises us with these beautiful um, crystal plaques. So we got together and we gave him one too, because he really earned it.
5: Um, we did not give him the plaque after he gave us ours. We had already arranged for the plaque way in advance, and we were all ready to surprise him. And all of a sudden, he whipped these other ones out. We were going, hey, wait a minute. He turned the tables on us. But, um, uh, no, everybody at the table uh, 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 got together to to fund the, the one for John, and uh, John has just been an unbelievable force uh for uh, all of this for the disability community for so long and so we thank you john